Hello and welcome to the GLT podcast series with the Greenshaw Learning Trust and Friends Book Club, where we talk all things teaching and learning with leading educationalists across the world. My name is Rhiannon Rainbow. And my name is Dave Tushingham. This is a place to enjoy listening to organic conversations between teachers and authors, a journey in bringing the latest evidence-based literature into the classroom. Hello everyone and welcome to the 66th session of the Greenshaw Learning Trust and Friends Book Club. My name is Rhiannon Rainbow and I'm one of the co-founders of this educational book club. We are absolutely privileged to have special guest uh, Christian Still join us today. He's an experienced educator, author and speaker. He served as a teacher, head of department, senior leader, school governor, co-creator of Remember More, a digital flashcard system, and he has also contributed to various educational publications and his book Test Enhanced Learning a practical guide to improving academic outcomes for all students has received critical acclaim obviously <laughs> Dave and mine being involved in that one um, so we'll be looking at chapter four of his book today and Dave will be explaining more about that one in a moment Dave is also co-founder so it's it's fantastic to have you join us this evening, Chris. Um, Dave and I are utterly thrilled to bits as as we've just been discussing in the green room, which overran. It was it, we've been looking forward to it that much. So Dave, I'll hand over to you to explain the what and the why behind the choice of the book and the section, and then it'll be over to Chris, and then we'll carry on the conversations from there. Oh, I'm so looking forward to the session. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much. And Christian, thank you so much for joining us. We are really so excited for the, the session today because um, it's one of those um, sort of topics for us where um, we we look at we look at what you've written um, in the book and we realise how much we don't know. Um, it, it really is um, a, a book that I, that I try to stay away from the, the must read, but it really does feel like it, it needs reading and, and it needs sharing um, with, with as many people as possible because the amount of conversations I've had um, even very recently about um, what retrieval practice means, um, how we go about it. It's, it's been uh, one of those topics which we'll talk about, and we talk about it as retrieval practice. And, and when you read the book, you realise sort of how much more to it there is than, than just simply a low-stakes quiz at the beginning of the lesson or, or just um, put in um, some, some questions um, into your, your curriculum sequencing, which is going to sort of um, get students to think back or make links. It's, it's so much more than that. And, um, and every time I read the book, I get something new. So just really, really excited to sort of start looking at um, maybe the differences between what interleaver means and space practice and, and how uh, we might, with our low states quizzes, consider prerequisite knowledge or retrieval um, and, and how we might um, sort of go about planning our curriculum sequencing and just what it means in the classroom for us, the idea of testing and um, and testing being something we talked to Daisy Christodoulou, um in our last session about um, the testing and how, how we use it to, to learn as well as to, to collect data and find out what students can do. And, and just, um, just sort of thinking about what that means for our classrooms, it's going to be an incredibly valuable hour for us. Um, so can't wait to get started, um, Christian. But if you want to um, talk to us first of all about sort of, you know, where, where your thoughts on the book came from and, um, and we'll just sort of, you know, show our, show our ignorance at times and, uh, and talk to you a little bit about, um, so what do we do here and what does this mean um, for us? Um, but just thank you so much for joining us and, and can't wait to, to learn from you. Well, look, firstly, thank you very much for the very, very warm welcome and the good fun that we had in the green room. And um, I just hope you don't expect me to be able to answer all those questions in, in one sitting. Um, I don't know if I can even remember all of, the, all of those questions, but the, the point that you raised, which is probably the most important and, and where this 
started is a, is a statement that retrieval practice alone is, is not enough. So if we accept that retrieval is just one part of a, I wouldn't go as far as saying a teaching philosophy, but it's one part of test enhanced learning, then that's a that's a good starting point. And, and Daisy's absolutely right. You know, it is testing as learning. And let's deal with the, you know, the, the ugliness of the word testing. Um, the book, um, which you, you've been really, really generous about, so thank you, um, may do well if, and this is a big if, people get past the word testing. So I think that's actually going to be problematic. And I think uh, Dr. Tom Perry starts off um, in the forward saying, you know, testing typically is a pretty ugly word for parents, for teachers, for pupils, with perhaps the exception of maths teachers um, and pupils, where I think you've done quite a good job um, with that. But yes, so if we started off by saying that retrieval is just one component part, and we need to be thinking about another, a number of other component parts, you know, that would be a good starting place. And, you know, the book came about as a potential, um, not solution, but, uh, you know, a potential challenge to, to seeing the word retrieval practice flashed about um, and, and put forward here as this, you know, kind of low-hanging fruit. Um, it's, it's anything, it's far from being a low-hanging fruit. Lovely. And, and and that's that's sort of where I guess our learning comes in, where the conversation that I'm having with um, staff and, and talking about sort of what type of questions we might want to ask our students and when and when when we might be testing them and how those tests look. And um, there's a bit in your book um, you talk about um, the, um, the feedback and emotion and how they're interlinked and, and how um, the, the hints can help and, and don't detract from from their learning and the idea of, sort of motivation through through those tests being low stakes, but to continue to collect that data and, and sort of how, how we go go about that. Um, I know your Remember More um, is, is an, an incredible resource for, for staff to use. I don't know if you want to tell us a little bit more about sort of how that works and, and what what we can get as teachers from, from using um, something like that and, and get us to think about sort of the idea that it's more than just a set of questions that we're going to ask at the beginning of a lesson. I think, I think sometimes actually, you know, you are astute you have spoken to a number of uh people what what uh, number are we on now 66 did you say Rianne? okay so along 66. the way you pick 66 so route 66 so you have picked up an awful lot of knowledge and it's really interesting as teachers you know we know that classrooms are emotional places and it's taken maybe 20 years and if we say 20 years from the third cycle of interest in test enhanced learning. So the first cycle was at the turn of the century. The second cycle, um, you can probably argue, is is on the back of um, Jeff Karpicki's papers in the early 2000s. And we've got like this, you know, third renaissance, shall we say it. But it's taken until just recently for, for Robert Bjork to say, you know, maybe we've overlooked the emotions associated with, let's, let's use the word quizzing rather than testing, you know, associated with, with quizzing. <laughs> I nearly, I nearly came up with a, you know, a no, a no, some, a no blank Sherlock. There's a quiz. You can work out what fills in the, in the blank. So yes, these, these are all the component parts, and you've also picked up on sequencing, and you've also picked up on motivation. These are all parts of um, an outlook that uses testing as for and to potentiate learning. 
and they are they are three different stages completely then i'll share with you Rianne, after the show you know a model that looks at three phases before we teach when we teach and after we teach and there are component parts for each of those three you know so and and within that are the emotions you talked about dave you know how do you feel about when you get a you know when you're asked a question and and who knows that you're being asked a question and whether you're not you know the answer or not at the end of the day what do we want our children to do is we want them to know more um we want them to remember more um and then at some point this is beyond the test enhanced learning we want them to be able to use that information right we want to our for them to be able to apply that information and and knowing something is very different from from applying it and i don't need to tell maths teachers that do i no not at all <laughs> but it is it's it is so interesting because um you know when you talk about the use of the word test and i just remember a few years ago um a colleague of mine luke mosley and he was um really he used to read quite widely to support and enhance what he was doing professionally and then he'd bring it into the department as well and he used to read more widely for outside of education and look at how sort of sport and growth mindset and things can help with what we were doing and he that was the first time i'd heard somebody say let's stop call let's call them quizzes for the students let's mm. let's take that edge off the word test because of the pressure it can put on the students the pressure it sometimes puts on parents just to help with with that language and and the sort of the the feelings associated with that as well um and i know you mentioned that as as sort of as maths teachers maybe we are more used to using the word test but i think maybe that's because we just use lots of i don't accurately use the words or the vocabulary I'll use test or quiz or whatever because I I forget exactly maybe what it was at that moment and and maybe that's one of the reasons why but it is it is important but also I think sometimes if we are always calling something a quiz then it it makes the word test seem more worrisome and intimidating and and higher stakes whereas we need to be used to it and understand that that little bit of discomfort is actually really helpful. And if I think anecdotally about, so one of my children um, quite recently, my my 14 year old child who is quite reluctant when it comes to homework and part of the homework, so it's on Spark. So it's, um, it is, it's got algorithms behind it so that it means it looks at what he's doing at the moment. It starts, um, bringing in aspects of what he's done previously and, and, and mixing it up in an, in an intelligent way, um, interleaving previously taught content. Um, and the first couple of times he comes across something, it's, it's been challenging to support him with it. And then the other week he said, you know what, I can do this topic now. Some of these topics I'm getting really good at. And I said, that is because it keeps coming back and you keep reviewing it and you keep trying it again it's because it it is hard and it's testing you each time and because it's testing you and you're having to retrieve that information and use it at, at different stages for different things then that means you're you're getting more confident in it but uh and i just you know i think it's it's just getting used to the use of that word test and not being worried about it either because it's a it's a really good thing to test ourselves maybe 
maybe I've, I've gone a little bit off on a tangent there, but I, I do think it's important not to always use the one or, or to use the other or, or not. I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts on the matter as such, really? Should we use one more than the other or you are first, there legal mutations there? <laughs> you first, Dave. What do you um, think? I mean, for, for me, um, I like the I like the phrase of quizzing. I think that, um, yeah, what you're saying really in terms of testing, it makes sense that um, we will need to, to go through um, something that's more formal and get used to that as well. Um, but for me, it's all about um, what I'm learning from the book. And, and Christian, again, correct me if I've not got the idea right, but it's, it's about sort of separating, compartmentalizing, understanding the specifics and breaking it down just like you would in the classroom. And, and so I'm going to take off on another little tangent here and uh, and so, in short, I think that I think yeah, I, I agree. Um, but but I'm looking at um, a, a table which has really supported me in your book. Um, and there's a there's a chapter on embracing spacing, um, and it's um, Sarah Costum um, explaining that the longer the space interval, the more forgetting um, sets in, and therefore the more challenging it is. Um, and and it's this is one of many moments in the book where I've read it and gone, well, yeah, I get that. I I think I know that. But I don't think I explicitly un understood or, or, or thought about that um, and, and planned that in, in my mind. It was it was sort of somewhere in there, but it wasn't. I wasn't retrieving it. I guess um, you know in my own way. It was it was something where I then went to the table um, that's in the book and it talks about increasing success and increasing difficulty. And I, I think I do that, but I never really thought about the fact I was doing that when I was with the students and maybe they were struggling on a mini whiteboard. Um, I would then look to try and choose a question that, that brings more success, but I wasn't sort of thinking about it explicitly in my mind, this is what I was doing, but it, it just then going into the table and thinking about the, the techniques that you could use, having a single part answer, having a multi-part answer. And, and it's all about breaking it down. So the idea that we could break down into to testing and quizzing and, and, and sort of think about deliberately why are we using that word and, and what are we trying to get from it? I think that's the key is, is having sort of real thoughts on, on why we're doing what we're doing and understanding what we're doing as well. Because I feel like a lot in the book, Feel like I'm doing, but I don't know whether I necessarily have full control. Was really understanding why I was doing what I was doing. I think, and I listen to you both talk. There's a lot of intuitiveness to, you know, mm. to teaching. So we talk about the art of teaching and the science of teaching. That's yeah. my personal part. I think there there are two parts. Now, okay, I may upset a few people here. It's very hard to find empirical evidence over the stakes issue. And I'm very happy and I'll use it myself. We talk about this, this idea of low stakes. And I think we need to qualify what we mean by low stakes. And you'll see a lot of um, conversation about low stakes quizzing. Now, what do you mean by low stakes quizzing? And more often than not, it's a reference point to about whether or not we're collecting in scores. Now, either I have a very, very safe classroom and I work very hard on having a safe classroom, but my kids want to tell me the score, right? And actually they want to, to keep it recorded. And I think just the other day, I, I shared a picture of a um, box and whiskers um, where we set some homework over some, some questions and it was our weekly um, scores. And, and you can see the box getting tighter and slowly creeping up and the whiskers are getting shorter. So what, what was that telling me? Well, it was telling me that the children were getting more right. Um, there was less variance um and generally things were moving forward that was under medium to high stakes that was the thursday quiz so 
let's be very clear. There isn't a great deal of evidence that specifically says in favor of low stakes. There is a lot of intuitive um, conversation about, you know, a warm classroom where it doesn't matter what score you, you get because, well, no, no, it does matter. <laughs> it does. It does if you've got access to the information before you quiz. So one of the things I always advocate is that the children have access to the information before a quiz. And, you know, if I forget, please remind me um, of a young lady called Matilda because she summed it up better than I did. So first of all, they have to have information to what they're being quizzed about. And then obviously we come to class and we have a quiz and it is low stakes and they collect their information up. And I'll share a, a very quick marking scheme for the listeners to, to save them a lot of to save them a lot of time so they can do more teaching. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we quiz. And on Thursday and every Thursday, we test, all right, where we're actually collecting the scores. And every half term, we do the Tough Mudder. And I invite anybody to come and visit my classroom to watch the Tough Mudder because these kids, these students are incredible in terms of uh, we answer 100 questions in a 50-minute lesson. And that's why it's called the Tough Mudder. And we collect in those scores. But we don't penalise the children, you know, if they, they don't achieve a certain benchmark. We do penalise them or we do ask them the question if they don't commit to 20 minutes learning. Because, Dave, your 20 minutes learning might be different from Rian's. And this is my big thing about, you know, the work that we do in the classroom. It's not just the work that we do in the classroom. It's the work that happens outside of the classroom. And not a lot of people pick up on the fact that retrieval works fantastically outside of the classroom if the content is accessible so here we go in the classroom if we are learning and it is new information information inf that's sense data that they don't know yet make sure the success rate is really high and make sure it's really really accessible to them and at the point that you expect that information to be now have meaning thank you sarah cottingham you know, now this information has meaning and it becomes knowledgeable because that's a different process. That is retrieval or it is remembering or it is relearning. And all three of those add strength to the memory trace. OK, so here's the thing. If it's new information. Get them as close to the answer as you possibly can without giving it away. And if you want to use hints, they're like sweeteners. Fantastic, because I don't really want to start a lesson with the children getting five questions, getting them all wrong. So here's my sweetened question for you, right? And, and you're going to get the answer, you know, because it's pretty accessible, all right? I'd like you to think of a color. It has six letters. And two of those letters are the same. And it starts with a P. <laughs> now, at every single step of that question, it was difficult. Because first of all, you picked a colour. You probably picked your favourite colour. And then as soon as I said six letters, you either decided whether that was right or wrong. And then you had to go and find another colour. And then you checked it against the next hint. And then, Rianne, you went with purple and you got it right. And you had to change your yellow, Dave. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you get it's, purple? It's red. 
Did you and, so I, I went with, I went with purple at the very beginning. That's why I laughed because I did. Um, <laughs> yeah, my daughter's favourite colour, so I started with purple, and that's why I giggled. But um, yeah, okay. I think, absolutely great. But the, at this point, it's information. Mm. Now, if we have some spacing. I'm going to come back to that. Let's imagine now that we are 10 minutes further down the line. We've had a little bit of spacing and you know, maybe you've done something else. And we're now going to do a mid-lesson quiz. Interim quizzing is a, an undersold um, technique. But this time it will be, think of a color that begins with P. It's got six letters. Go. What's the answer? And I expect you to get access to that information really quickly. Now, I know we're not going to play what's inside my head, but, you know, we now go forward another 10 minutes, or we're now at the beginning of the next lesson. What's Mr. Steele's favourite colour, Dave? Yeah, purple. Brilliant. What colour do I not like, Rianne? Ooh, yellow. Mm. <laughs> you had to think a little bit harder about that one, didn't you? Because we hadn't practised it. I'd mentioned it in passing and moved on. So, so here's the thing. Even with a simple demonstration like that, was that low stakes? Yeah, is it, I mean, it's again, it's the culture of the classroom, isn't it? It's the way that you go about doing it because it felt to me low stakes because I was invested, because I was motivated, because of the way that you were um, warm with what you were doing. But at, at the same time, I really wanted to get it right. So the stakes were also at the same time relatively high in, in, that, in that respect. Okay, so how did I lower the stakes? Uh, well, it, it was the warmth, it was the scaffolding that you offered, it was the, the structure, the, the timings, the the, the careful planning and how yeah. you, you introduced everything meant that I had a higher chance of success. Okay, so this is a high stake uh, question. You've got 10 seconds to answer it. It's a colour, it's six letters, and no letter is the same. What's the answer, Rianne? Rianne, come on, you're not concentrating. What's the answer? <laughs> Silver. Uh, look, I bet you, no, 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 that wasn't the answer that I was thinking no. of, but it met all the criteria, six letters, all the letters are the different, but it wasn't the one I was thinking of. So what's the colour, Rianne? Wrong, try oh. again. <laughs> Yeah. No, I'd like to oh, answer, please. Actually, orange. It is orange. Okay, so when I ask you next time, you'll know the answer, won't you? Yes. Good. What colour am I thinking of? Orange. No, silver, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, the, and the, whole thing, the whole thing about that is, is that the cue yes. lacks any diagnosticity. And then I asked you another question, and you thought, well, you know, I've played this before. But I didn't say it was going to be orange. I just said, what colour am I thinking of? And that time, you know, and the question had no, didn't direct the, the students. So what I'm saying is, is, and I borrow this from Dr. Ellington's work. I think I mentioned it in the book. You know, when the information you are sharing is new, it is information or sense data, it, it, you know, go slow, cover a little, give them time and definitely give them support in getting to the answer. And my recommendation, you know, or certainly Dr. Ellington's recommendation is to lower the failure rate. And, you know, it's very Engelman in that sense, but lower the fail failure rate, give them enough to get them to the answer. You know, and if you're going to do um, a piece of maths work, you know, and you're going to introduce a new piece of maths work, how about you can help me around? Give me a, give me a topic that you might be teaching tomorrow in maths. Oh. I won't know too much about. Dave, give one that you're teaching tomorrow. Uh, solving equations. Um... Okay. So we're going to solve some equations, and we want to get that class ready. And they've never seen solving equations. right? And now I don't know the answer to this either. What topic comes just before solving equations they may have been taught and they may have understanding of? 
very good question. Um, so, so let's say negative numbers that we did some work okay, on so we, before. So we do some negative numbers and we, you know, these are negative numbers. I know you're going to get these, the most of these right. You know, there are five questions on the board and I probably expect most of you to get, to get four out of five. Now, of course, if they don't, you better teach negative numbers again. Okay, so then we go to the solving equation and give them 80%, 90% of the answer. Maybe, maybe just leave one process, right? One process that they have to finalize. And therefore you're saying to them, look, brilliant, we've got you over the line. Another really low stakes approach is to provide them with maybe three, four questions, but provide them with the answers. So what are we doing? Oh, by the way, my hands were up in the air, but provide them three questions with three answers. So what are we doing now? Well, we're only doing recognition recall. They may have seen these. It probably works better, you know, in languages where you've got three facts and three answers. You've only got to pair them up. That's not retrieval. That's recognition. And that's a whole lot easier. So, again, you know, I hope that gives some, some food for thought about the low stakes part. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be low stakes, but if you're trying to get them to learn, the idea is the low stakes is low anxiety, that the anxiety doesn't block the stresses that makes the memory more um, more secure. Mm, yeah. At some point, it can't all be low stakes because at the end of the day, they're going to be sitting an exam at some point. So that's my thought. And a little bit of the experience there was also is if it's so low stakes, as it doesn't matter. Why? <laughs> engage in the same way but actually mm. i wanted to get it right i felt a little bit challenged and that little bit of difficulty means i'm more likely to remember it so yeah. it, it's it is a very fine balance and i think what i was trying to what i very poorly sort of conveyed earlier in that what about quizzing what about testing what about all of this is the fact that i think that i've i've used this language i, I use these ideas but quite loosely for a little while and then upon reading your book I realized that there is so much more detail to it yeah. it is so much more nuanced and then what I'm finding I'm doing is I'm challenging my own thinking about it as well and trying to improve improve that and 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 develop even more and just through this conversation it's sort of skyrocketed again because there is so much to it. And I know, Dave, you were mentioning earlier, and we've spoken ourselves that every time we read it, we pick out another detail, a really important detail, but the, it, it, that we're able to pick on, up, up on because we're becoming more aware of, mm. of what's going on or, 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 or able to pick up that little bit more knowledge about it because there is so much involved in it that... You can't do all of it all of the time, but being aware of different strategies and using them well and the power behind them is it's that I think is where it comes into its own rather than accidentally going off and involving into something that's a little bit too diluted. So so, you you know, again, you're right. I think the, the thing I wish I'd known sooner or I'd come across sooner um, was Harry Barrick's work. So he's in the late 70s. Now, again, remember how uh, organizations work. They're, there's a, a lab of cognitive scientists. They do well. They, they develop young cognitive scientists and they go out in their work, out into their wider world. So if you backtrack um, Harry Barrick's kind of protégés that have gone on, we're talking about some of the biggest and the best kind of cognitive scientists out there. The one you guys 
will recognize very quickly will be John Dunlowski. Now, I wish I'd had the conversation with John sooner about this. And, and I said, I've come across this work by Harry Barry. Oh, he's my former supervisor. Oh, <laughs> by chance. And there's a real crystal point because Harry Barrett's work is over an extended period of time. He looked at memory for a long extended period of time. Most of the research that we're talking about, it's quite short, you know, even days and weeks. But Harry's work is over years. And the wish I wish I'd understood that, you know, there is a point where this information is new and it's fragile and working memory is going to be challenged and laden by trying to process it. And that is very, very different from retrieving information that we have taught and we believe the children have secured to some point or not. And of course, your experience as mathematicians is you're going to see those kids tomorrow or the day after. Now, let's compare that to our geography colleagues or MRFL colleagues or our RE colleagues. They're not going to see them until next week. So, you know, even that means the process is different. But the one thing I think I wish I'd been more conscious of is that what is information? or my new term, sense data, thanks to my direct instruction friends. I, I tried to find out what, what was knowledge before it was knowledge. This, that's, that was the question I posed myself, to find out what's knowledge before it's knowledge. So this sense data, you know, in your case, Dave, the equation, that information means nothing, right? We might be familiar with how an equation appears, you know, tell me what you know about an equation and they might surprise you. They may have done some, you know, maybe. But for most, it's, you know, there's not a lot of information there. And, you know, what do I want to quiz them about then? You know, I don't really want to set anything that's particularly challenging. You know, I might just want them to be able to identify the, the component parts of an equation because then I presume we're going to go to a sequence. And then we're going to practice the sequence. And if we're gifted, you know, gifted teachers, we'll offer some faultless explanation. And if we're keen test enhanced learning enthusiasts, we'll borrow Simon Knight's phrase. He works in special education. And Simon introduced me to the idea of um, errorless learning. All right, we want to really lower that failure rate, but we want to be teaching so well that they don't get it wrong at the start. And only once we've then taken that sense data and we've got it closer to knowledge, do we want to really give them questions that require them to show what they know? And then even then, we need to make sure that that's practiced to the point that it is consolidated and secure. And for you, Rianne, that's 110%. For you, Dave, that's 120%. You know why? Well, well Boys tend to think they're better than they are, <laughs> and girls are a little bit more cautious, but hence why Sarah Cottingham's blog is called Overpracticed. So they've got to practice that until, you know, that kind of that, you remember that Daily Thompson quote, you know, others practice till they get it right, and I practice till I never get it wrong. You know, we've got to get them to the, the never get it wrong. But they don't have to do all of that in the classroom. That's why it's a great homework. Okay, so they do the the final, let's say, 110 to 120% is homework, and we consolidate that. Why is it good homework? They can all do it. They're pretty much mastered it already. They're just over-practicing it. And then they can come back to class, and then you can talk about your exciting topic of interleaving.
but I wouldn't do it unless that information is secure, well-practiced, preferably mastered, and over-practiced. And I would also ask for a gap and for it to be practiced. And um, Catherine Rawson says, you know, if at first, you know, you get it right, get it right again and again and again. You know, not this, you know, if at first you don't succeed. You know, if at first you succeed, succeed again and again. After the third time, you know, you, you're pretty, you're pretty, you're pretty safe. Brilliant. Um, and, and it's just like everything that you're saying there is just like it's motivational as well to think that you, you, I want to go in and, and use some of this language tomorrow and, and really sort of think a little bit deeper about um, the, the specifics of um, the, the nuances, as um, Rana called it. Um, the, 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 I wouldn't have thought to, to break down in my mind. It's intuitive, again, the, the difference between knowledge and information. Um, I know that I take this information and, and then I look to apply it to a context and, and help my students to understand uh, what it means to them and how it helps them to understand the world better. But I wouldn't have sort of thought to, in, in my mind, if you'd asked me what's the difference in information and knowledge, I, I don't think I would have been able to answer that um, in, in a way that was satisfying. And, and another one of those that's, that's in the book for me was the difference between interleaving the space practice. And I read the book and I thought, yeah, I feel like I sort of you know, spoke, to, spoke to a few people now about retrieval and I sort of sort of get where I'm going with this, I get what I want to do. And, and then Adam Botzer, first of all, uh, talks to us about prerequisite knowledge and, um, and retrieval practice. And so what are you asking? Are you asking something that's relevant to the, the lesson itself? And I thought about my low stakes quizzes at the beginning of my lesson. I thought, I don't really think about it hard enough. Um, and, and then this was another one that challenged me um, where, where I thought, I don't think I've ever thought about whether... Um, I'm going to um, sort of have interspersed similar topics or whether they're going to be completely different and when and why and, and how long that gap's going to be and how I'm going to, um, going back to that table, how I'm going to increase the difficulty by um, increasing the, the length of time or, or how I'm going to increase that success rate if I've got a different class and bring that in earlier. And never really sort of thought hard enough about those things. And that's what this book does for me. It makes me, in my everyday teaching, think about what I'm going to be asking them in a lot more detail than just I'm going to go and practice some retrieval. I'm going to um, get them to apply this particular. It's been a little bit too um, sort of intuitive, um, and, and the book helps to to be very specific in my thinking. It's very it, again really kind of you, but I think you probably do yourself both a bit of a disservice. We can simplify things, and I'll simplify it like this: the most important resource in the room other than yourself is the pupils and sometimes we forget that but the the scarce resource is time so you've now increased your success rate or alternatively you've lowered your failure rate and you have just bought back a huge amount of time the time that you would have spent making corrections and feeding back. And I suppose maybe I'm encouraging you to see your lesson as a ladder with much tighter rungs. You know, Engelman talks about 85%, you know, is, you know, we know about Usabel, let's start where they are. And Engelman recommends that, you know, start at around 85% and there should only be 15% new content. And it's really interesting. These people, you know, have thought far more deeply than, you know, than myself, you know, than many. Their 
gaps in their ladders are so much tighter. You know, I would go in and teach something and, you know, and normally I would go in and, and want to share with the students what I knew. Um, but tomorrow I'll start with my lesson. I'll start, well, you know, we're moving on to have, uh, much ado about nothing. I'll probably ask them, you know, what, what do you know about Shakespeare? Tell me what you know. You know, what do you know about comedies? Um, what do you think of EastEnders? And what I will try and do is give them something um, that I know that they can all answer to and they can get close to. Now, that's if I wasn't using Remember More because half of my class have been on and have been logging minutes on Remember More because I get the detail back. We don't go back to school till tomorrow. I've got something like seven hours of pre-learning already invested in, mainly in the characters. So they're, they're going to come into class and they're going to, you know, actually I could tell you which characters they know most confidently. I haven't even started teaching. So, you know, those tighter runs on the ladder, but as soon as you get to the point where the children trust you, I mean, the students were asking me, when will the deck be released? I'm like, I've never taught it before, so it's going to take me a little bit longer. I've got to read it, I've got to understand it, and then I can write some questions. And the deck went out on Thursday, and, you know, I'm teaching two groups, so just over 40 children, just under 40 children, and there's, you know, seven hours. So, you telling me the children don't like to be tested? I'd say you're doing the wrong tests. They definitely do. They definitely do. So Matilda said you were supposed to tell me about that, Rianne. Uh, I've got it written down. I can take that one off now. So Matilda was asked for a soundbite and she said, um, I don't understand what you mean. They said, you know, what's all this about quizzing and testing? You know, kid, surely students don't like it. She said, I don't understand. We don't go to Mr. Steele's lessons to be tested. We go to show what we know. Because they've got access to the questions, they've got access to the key knowledge, they do their flashcards at home. You know, they know how well they're progressing because the app feeds back. A lot of them actually don't use the app, a lot of them just use Classroom. And they come to class to show off. You know, I know the 20, you know, one or two students tomorrow will say, I know all 20 characters. In fact, I'm not quite sure how many characters there are, but they'll tell me and they'll tell me who they are and they'll tell me what their relationships are. They'll know nothing else because there's nothing else in those flashcards, but they'll be able to tell me the characters. But even just knowing that means that when you're reading it, they already seem familiar friends and that's not new knowledge or new people they're trying to learn which is mm. when you go from reading a series of books you know you might my daughter my youngest is really into harry potter at the moment so once she's read them all and we've gone through that phase once we start on a new book they won't feel as familiar and it'll be more difficult to get into the story it'll be more difficult to understand because it is like a new language yeah. your students know the benefit of that prep yeah. and they're really proud of the difference that it makes because of that culture, because they can see the impact. And Adam, Adam Boxer talked in a similar vein, didn't he, Dave, that the students knew the cycle. They knew what would happen. They knew the expectations and they knew the power behind what they'd be doing with their with their quizzing, with their homework as well. And, and, and the difference yeah. it made then to what they were able to do in the classroom. So they're then not fearful of being tested because it's just part of what what they do and they know the difference it makes. So there's 17 characters and, you know, they'll have a lot to do and there'll be some questions. You know, I think Beatrice is the niece of Leonardo and they'll, you know, they, they might 
because they also know that the information on the cards is quite specifically there. You know, the fact that she's a niece, whereas the other um, character hero is his daughter. And I'm hoping someone's going to say, well, what's the difference? And then we'll have a very rich conversation about the difference between a husband and his daughter and a husband and his niece, because we have the time. Because I don't have to teach them who the characters are. And, and this is, you know, one of those key points. It relinquishes time. And I think the one thing that I've borrowed from some of my senior colleagues, you know, floating around is that initially the decks were quite large. You know, I, I would try and shrink them down. And, you know, but I certainly this is a deck for um, this particular text for a term. And I'm still shocked. I couldn't get it any less than 180 items, they're called, items of information. And some of those items of information might hold on one or two, three things. That's just what is essential around that text. I've got another colleague that's uh, using uh, Monster Calls. And she's absolutely, it's blown her mind about how much information we want the children to know, to be able to access and understand, you know, the book. And Macbeth's about 400 flashcards because there's so much language in there. There's all the characters and, you know, there's quite a lot of other items, but we've, we've, we've actually found ourselves shrinking and shrinking, shrinking. No child needs to know how a child, how a character responded in act two, scene three, but as they're moving through the text, it's worth being able to say, look, when we remember about, you know, act two, scene three, what happened here, what happened there. With the, the subjects where it's content, which is just knowledge, you know, they, they, they do need to know that. And I've got colleagues that have written decks for geography, for history, for science. Look, somebody has got to get hold of the, the education minister and the exam board. And, you know, what we are asking these children to have access to is just colossal, colossal. So, you know, that's one thing I have learned from building decks and remember more. That just the amount of information that we're expecting children to know. The one thing I like about Remember More compared to other platforms is that a flashcard is categorized and then it can be multi-tagged. So, you know, a piece of vocabulary will be identified as a piece of vocabulary, but it will also be associated with a particular character at a particular time. So we end up creating a, um, a web of information or a, a network of information um, that works really nicely for um, for English texts. Maths is a little bit more separate. You know, you tend to have a question about maths and it gets tied to a, a particular topic. Um, but just imagine if your children could all spell circumference. Wouldn't life be easier for you and diameter? Tick it into Remember More. Just give them the, you know, we have got a dirty 30 in Remember More, the 30 most misspelt words in GCSE. So there are a lot of that gets a lot of use, actually, that deck. A lot of staff ask their children just to learn these 30 words. So, you know, it's all about saving time. It is. And, and it's, um, yeah, an incredible resource as well. It's um, it's so, yeah, it's, it's, it's such a good resource to um, to use just to, to help those those students, as you say, to save that time and to, to do that pre-learning um, as well, as, as you say. I think that's that's so important. Yeah, but it would also take your knowledge as the lead practitioners in your subject, mm -hmm. and you can put it into all the other classrooms. So I have a lot um, a lot of use um, comes from from younger teachers, you know, that, that regrettably are feeling overwhelmed. 
you know, I've got to teach this text, you know, I've got a scheme of work, I've got to plan the lessons. Well, if you use Classroom and you're reading a text, you know, it doesn't take many questions. A handful of questions can last you quite a long time. Um, 20 or 30 questions, you know, five the first lesson, maybe five at the end, often the same five. And then the next lesson will only be seven because it will be the five that you did last time plus a couple more. And before you know it, you know, 50 flashcards can probably last you, you know, a good 20 lessons quite comfortably, if not more. But I'm, I'm also picking, as, as you mentioned there for, for other colleagues, I'm also picking up on this, the power in it of empowering yourself with your own knowledge. Yeah. And exactly what it is you want to get from the students or link with the students or, or get the students linking with other things. So you're much more precise uh, about your language and mm. the types of questions you're asking and what you want to see in the responses for stu from students and, and how things are articulated. And uh, that must be, uh, that would be just incredible to yes pull that all together and the thinking that's involved with that but then to share that with others as well and help to sort of accelerate their understanding of a new text that they're doing uh, 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 as well so yes for the students but also for for you when you're for, for for me when I'm running my own room because I've put that deck together I've thought about all of that and I know that sort of that that journey that we're going to go on and, and how I'm going to help to support the students. And then when you've got that, you can then look at how you can pull upon things later on. And I suppose once you've got your deck interleaving and calling upon it at another time or utilizing it and slotting it in and, and thinking about when you're going to use those questions, that becomes easier to um, do. I think that's a bit harsh. It's far easier than easy. So we, we we joke that you can have a quiz if we could, you know, share a screen. I'm sure we could. But, you know, you can have a quiz on your screen for your students in less than we're faster than Usain Bolt. You can have it on your screen and your children quizzing in sub 10 seconds. That was the aim when we built it. Is it could we do it in less than 10 seconds? So, you know, if it's about characters, classroom dot remember more, much to do about nothing characters five questions go that's it now because these characters are new to you i would probably pick match and i would put up both questions and answers and maybe at the end of the lesson i might do the same five characters but i would do it as question and answer and if i was thinking do you know what i've got a really smart crowd here i might do another couple of characters or i might show them the answers and you can tell me the character names but it is on the screen in in sub 10 seconds and then people say oh that's not possible and you can i think there's a youtube video somewhere but you know it really is that simple so you, the whole purpose behind it is to keep teachers in this profession because you guys are the great question writers we haven't got necessarily time to train them how to write great diagnostic questions with hints but a team what a great cpd opportunity you know what knowledge do we want the children to desperately know what's the top 10 maths words we want them to know what's the top 10 math processes we want them to know um what's the top science terms whatever it might be and then you can piece them together and what's lovely is with a flashcard is if you have the question or the cue then this is the right answer not the answer that you verbalize that's the right answer 
so the children can respond and when we show the answers we always move to self-assessment another really key component of test enhanced learning by the way children that mark their own work do better than children that don't mark their own work okay so children that mark their own work typically do better than those that don't plus you get a much warmer culture plus they get quicker feedback they get more of it and sooner did i say quicker sooner okay so we've now got the feedback and the correct answers are on the screen right so we then move to the children uplifting or upgrading their answer and we use a 210 mark scheme so if they are correct and if they are accurate i.e their question matches ours they give themselves two marks if their question is correct but not accurate then they give themselves one mark and they uplift their answer if they get it wrong they put our answer in right the end point is the same the answer i wanted them to know so let's go to maths and they've got this equation and then they get the answer you might need to provide them in the hint you know maybe i might use for maths questions in the hints i might use a couple of steps that you know make sure you do this step then this step then this step but when they flip their whiteboard around because everybody's got to work with the mini whiteboard apparently these days or they look down at their work and they look up at the screen and they see that right answer and theirs is wrong they can correct it now it doesn't tell them necessarily for maths if there were multiple parts how they got it wrong so you'd have to be very careful with your design of questions because the questions would always have to be in you know if there were multiple processes it would be quite difficult but if the question is you know four times four and it says up on the board 16 and there says 20 something's gonna miss but they know the answer is 16 but they don't know why so you've got to be careful because the most important thing is you know is why they got it wrong but if they if lots of them got it wrong then I'd recommend that you pause and you help them but the key thing is is they leave with that information and they've had to think about it and I suppose the one thing that's come up recently is the importance of re-encoding time so that when you correct the children and you help them get it right I've never thought about the time after I've fed back I might pause in my question delivery I've never paused after I've given feedback in my life so that's the you know the the step that I'll be working on in the summer you know to mark it and look at it if they got it right and you know why did they get it right but here's a critical point now what's left in their exercise book the question the correct answer maybe some corrections you know that gets lost from a mini whiteboard go the exercise book go the exercise book i'm not saying you can't use mini whiteboards you know, <laughs> of course you get to see what goes in their exercise book Let, let's do a hybrid let's put it on the whiteboard and now write it in your exercise book <laughs> uh, love it um and and it's i mean i've got so many takeaways here when we do get to that part in the in a moment but um i love the, the use of takeaways um, that's a great phrase dave i love that i'm going to use that in the yeah. book <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should do, shouldn't I? Um, if, if only I could write, I haven't got enough knowledge yet. Um, but, but no, the, um, the, the thing that um, sort of that I took away before um, 
this session started. I know we haven't talked too much about it. Was um, the the space practice and the interleaving um, mm. and the differences between them. And uh, and there's a little bit in the book that just talks about, um, in a nutshell, spacing reduces retrieval strength but boosts storage strength. It's another one of those examples where I don't think I really understood the difference between the two and mm. therefore what I was doing with my um, sequencing within my curriculum, within my lessons. Um, I really like the idea of having something um, where where I'm when I'm designing it, I'm thinking about um, what do I want to do? Do I want them to be able to remember lots of things here or do I want them to be able to, to retrieve particular pieces of information? Why am I making the decisions I'm making? Why am I calling it quizzing or testing it? And that's that's going to be my sort of you know takeaway as we get to that really. It's going to be um it's going to be around the sort of understanding deeper, becoming more expert in in what it um what tests in enhanced learning is, is all about and, and the, the the nuances as we called it before. But but really, really sort of um yeah, getting getting a little bit more into this book again, putting it into my classroom, thinking why, thinking about why I'm making the decisions I'm making, because lots of what you said here just makes so much sense. The idea if you want to increase the success rate, if the information is new to them, it all makes success. It all feels intuitive, but I want to make it sort of really specific, really exact. Um, I want to know that I'm doing it. I want it to be, I guess, as I said before, it's, it's my own retrieval. I want to be able to um, to know, have control and to know exactly what it is that I'm doing with the questions and the testing and the quizzing that I'm partaking in with my students. And I love the phrase as well, um, that students uh, are our most important resource. I think that's, that just flips the, the way of thinking for me as well. I think that's, that's really powerful. Who are you going to do it with, Dave? Well, I, that's it. It's going to be focusing on one class to start with. I'm going to start with my uh, my year 11 group who who feel the, the most important at this stage. Um, and, uh, and I'm going to be be looking at the the, the way that I'm, I'm asking those questions and, and when I'm asking those questions and is there a way that I can be more efficient, save that time um, and to, to sort of to, to gather more data, but to get them remembering more, get them practicing more, get them um, get them practicing the right things at the right times. And and, um, and I'll be looking at how I've sequenced um, the remaining lessons with them and, uh, and whether there is a, a, a better way of, of sequencing that. So. If you think about that, obviously you talked about the students, but I think the other part about that is that who you, you know, you really like going to the gym. You need to get a, another buddy from another subject, you know, so you can chat with them in the staff room over a cup of coffee about how it's going. But, you know, you talked about this is for the year 11s, right? Yeah. So yeah. I think it's also about saying this is the information that I think is absolutely critical for them. I like the flashcard approach because you know it works well for the for the quizzing routines that we've said but it is literally about the, the work happens before you teach right the one thing that the staff that take on this approach will find um might be the the surprise gem is that teaching becomes less stressful right so i don't have to think about the questions i'm going to ask because i've done that work you know, I've probably written 20,000 flashcards now, so I'm pretty good at writing the flashcards and what do I want to include. And, you know, I can probably even think about some of the, you know, the subsidiary um, elaborative questions. And the, by the way, the best elaborative question is, is what makes you say that? Really, Rhiannon, that's really, what makes you say that? Just feign the, the you know, the surprise. So if you've now got these year 11s and you believe that these are the 20 most important things that they need to know, then put them into remember more or put them into a spreadsheet and I'll put them into remember more for you. And then you don't have to plan the first 10 minutes of your lesson. 
You don't have to plan necessarily the homework. If you're ill or you need a cover lesson, just go questions 15 print. That's your worksheet. Right. Because this is all about giving you time. So that you can read more of the book. And that's the bit I think we need to help teachers with, you know, let's let's decide what the key information is. Let's create those flashcards. And then, you know, once the children have kind of bought into the routine because they come in and it's just up on the screen, off you go. Then, you know, you can browse around and peer over their shoulders if you want, you know, but you'll be surprised just how far 20 questions go. Sounds amazing. No, it's, it does sound really, really good. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And you so you preempted the um, takeaway there, Dave, um, because yeah, it, it's been this this conversation. I've I've written so much, but I also haven't written so much because you've so much has been shared, and you've uh, uh, so many specific things that I'm definitely going to have to listen back through and make specific notes over certain references that you've made, Christian. It is, it is so knowledge rich um, to be kind. able to go away and to build upon and, and unpick it and understand it more. Because it's just my understanding at the moment just feels better than it was, but it still just feels too loose. And so for me, mine take my main takeaway because I know we are. Uh, I'm trying to keep to time as much as possible. My main takeaway is actually, uh, uh, with everything else that's going on, and I, 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 we've discussed about, uh, we've discussed this evening. I keep coming back to the power of the deck, and actually thinking about and planning and putting the time into that up front. So that's where I'm front loading it. Is where I think about what needs to go in that deck. What am I prioritizing? And then using that because we, 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 yes. Oh, no, because, because the point about it is, is then I'm, I'm not winning the race yes. if you're spending your Saturday and Sunday creating a deck for the department. So the department comes together. Absolutely. And we decide what the most important content is. Because remember, you're going to pass those children on to your colleague. Yes. So if it's year seven maths or year seven geography, you know, we've decided that these 10 words are important and these 10 bits of information are important. And because we've now secured those, you get to spend more of your lesson time telling them how to use it. But this is the bit that people forget. When that group gets passed on to year eight, those year eight colleagues get a greater homogeneity. So when you follow that Isabel question, you know, let's start where they're at. There's more of them should be at where they need to be to enable them to take the next step. Let's get away from this shortfall of retrieval practice, what we did last week, last two weeks, last month. Okay. What about the forward effects? And we haven't even talked about the forward effects of testing. We haven't or potentiated learning or interim testing, you know, or the motivational benefits. Um, we haven't talked about self-assessment, all these other component parts. All we've talked about is the idea about you know, asking children to, um, we say retrieve, but remember it's retrieve and encode at the same time. Both those processes are happening at the same time. That's what we've talked about. And we've ended up at the core point here is, is can we write, do we know what it is we want to teach? And can we write, write great cues so the children think hard about the information? 
So, you know, you can definitely come on board with us, Rianne. I mean, you know, you're absolutely at the right place. It's just good teaching, isn't it? Yes. I think so. And I mean, for me, it's um, like what I'm what I'm taking away from this is that, as, like you said, um, Rianne, it's, it's very much, I think, at the beginning of the journey um, here where, where there's so much for us to take on. So at one one small step at a time, I'm going to be looking at um, something in this book that's going to trigger something, a change in my classroom. The first one I'm going to be starting with um, out, of, out of the things that were there uh, feels like quite a straightforward one to start with um, is when you said that the children um, who mark their own work do better. Um, so I'm going to be ensuring that the students mark their own work and I'm going to be thinking about that and having that pause after giving the feedback. That's the first part that I'm going to work on. and just going to move forward from there and, and take um, so many ideas on this sheet. Um, I'm going to be taking one idea at a time and I'm going to be looking at how I move forward, how I move forward with, uh, with my understanding and my, my, my depth of understanding of this. Um, of, of how uh, I get students to to retrieve, to encode, but also um, you know what I'm going to do practically um, in the classroom each time as well. Um, but Christian, thank you so much. It's been absolutely wonderful. Um, so much fun and so much to think about. It's been an absolute pleasure to be able to talk to you and, and get that get that expertise at, at, at such a, such a sharp and, and strong level. It's been um, yeah, a really really positive, big learning experience for me. So thank you. Oh, thank you very much. It's been really great to spend some time chatting to you about it. And, you know, I'm sure there's more conversations to be had in the future.